Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Kennedy, and I'm here to help you become the very best version of yourself. Hey guys, welcome back to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have your attention today for this episode with strength coach Mark Carroll. Mark is an industry leader within the health and fitness industry and he's someone that I look to for reputable information and um, someone that I continue to learn off and, and he provides extremely valuable content for his audience and for his clients. He's helped many, many people get in exceptional shape but also at the same time begin to understand how to train and eat for long-term results. And Mark offers a lot of his his knowledge and his value on this episode today. So I really appreciate Mark's time um, and jumping on the Fitness and Lifestyle podcast to share some value with you guys as well. If you haven't already, make sure you check out his content online. All the links to his socials and his website will be in the show notes below. But I hope you guys enjoy this episode, take a lot away from it, take some notes throughout the episode if you feel like there's things in there that are going to help you get in better shape and to achieve your health and fitness goals. Um, but once again, a big thanks to Mark and I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Mark, welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast, man. It is a, an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Um, you're definitely one of the people in the industry that I look up to and, and admire the work that you do and um, the content you put out and the amount of value you add to your audience and anyone willing to listen or watch. Um, we we're obviously just chatting about your podcast and the value you can add through that. But I think, you know, you just mentioned communication and how important being able to communicate is for any business owner or service provider or whatever it may be. And that's something that I feel like you do exceptionally well. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on whether or not you see communication as a, as a strength for you. And when I say you do it well, like the way you post your content and the ability to create videos or even the copy in your captions and whatnot and how, engaging but valuable it is and, and gives the reader or the listener something that they can actually take away and utilize straight away is that a skill that you've always had or something you've had to work on i, th I think communication obviously there's there's levels to kind of communication and you know ways to go about it, communicating say online and your marketing and messaging and stuff and your brand messaging is is one thing and that's valuable but then obviously there's communication and friendships and partnerships and you know to your audience in say a podcast um the way for me i when i started in pt i was working one-on-one -on -one with people and that's where i i think i had a good strength because you're just talking to people every day you know it's mm -hmm. for me whilst i didn't you know i don't love talking a lot but when you're kind of building a relationship with someone and you have that kind of common thing you're talking about, you know, it's not, it's not a small talk at a bar trying to pick someone up. It's a, Hey, let's work on your squad and stuff like that. So that communication, I was always really good at, and I always found for myself, I used to be really good at talking to people who very different backgrounds, you know, I would fit in with very different kind of people from different walks of life. And then um, I had clients from really different walks of life and, you know, how you talk to them was all, it was always changing. So people would always, trainers I used to work with would laugh about how you know I'd use terminology for one way for a personal trainer but then a general pop mom who didn't care about fancy words and stuff like that yeah. you use absolute basics and so I think communications that um, comes down to you know just knowing who your audience is who, mm. who you try to talk to and something I always try to do in regards to kind of like social media is keep it simple and you know like I, I'm one of my benefits 
one of the benefits of not naturally being as smart as some of my competitors and stuff like that is I've learned stuff in a really simple way that I can understand. And the way that I understand it though, is then a way that I can get that message across to other people. Yeah. So my stuff is never about trying to, I guess, try to be the smartest. I just want people to actually understand what I'm saying. And so they can go apply it. And, you know, even when doing my podcast, I always try to think, so I don't know, like my mom listens and my next door neighbors and like, you know, general population. And I always know, I think I'm doing a solid job when they all walk away straight away. I think, oh, wow, I learned this and learned that. So that's always my goal, man, is just have people listen to me and walk away feeling a bit better. And they could go tell their partner what they learned. You know, I've done so many internships in the, in the years. And you go into it excited and you leave more confused. And yeah. I thought, well, maybe that's because I'm not smart. And I was like, actually, no, that's not the truth. Like mm-hmm. that's not the, the goal of teaching is not to go, you know, I've, I've worked with people where they just wanted to sound so smart and they knew you didn't know what you, they were talking about. And they just kept going. And that's not, yeah. that's just you trying to sound smarter. And kind it's an of, ego you know, thing. hundred percent. And I was like, well, that was useless. And so simple goes a long way. And yet, and I think just from a standpoint of communication, it's, knowing who you're talking to. And that's, I think why I, you know, I used to work with so many different people and get great results and had great relationships and even like friendships with all kind of people from different walks of life. And it's just, yeah, being able to kind of get your message across, but just how you do it to mm. individual should, um should matter on, you know, who you're talking to. Yeah. I feel like it's a pretty fine line and you see a lot of people struggle with it in the fitness industry of, as you said, almost just relaying some of the deep theory and the deep science behind what they know. But in the end of the day, they kind of lose track of the, of the purpose of their content. So it's almost comes down to almost trying to look smarter within your peers of other trainers, instead of actually delivering the message to the audience, which was the the whole point in the fucking first place. Um, it can, yeah. I think some people find that quite difficult to, to, relay their message as you said in a way that's relatable and and give someone something they can take away and actually utilize that's the whole thing you know it's like again knowing your audience if you're a super 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 smart evidence kind of base guy and you're trying to talk to other smart people then how you you get that message across would be quite different to someone else who's really smart but then they're knowing well maybe I'm not trying to actually sell to personal trainers, you know, I'm trying to sell to everyday people. So how can I make complex topics really, really simple? Mm -hmm. Or likewise, you know, if you're talking to more advanced people or your market is, you know, university, um, you know, trained um, exercise scientists and stuff like that, then obviously you don't want to dumb it down too much because then people won't respect it. So I think that's why there's no kind of wrong or right way. It's just, again, it's like, it's just, identifying you know who you're trying to talk to you know if you teach to you know children really young children or teach to high school students you know you're still teaching best of what you're trying to get across and the messaging is it's that's a real key and it's if you're trying to teach something and you're trying to educate or trying to make someone you know help them do they actually get better and that should be the main sign not like hey how smart i am or how good is my content it's do they actually improve from that and i think that should be the real key driver in the end yeah, 100%. I agree. When you first started out as a PT working with clients one-on-one, was there a long-term vision? Like, did you see yourself pushing towards a position that you're in now and and the the path that your career has gone on? Or I'd love to get a bit of insight into kind of what your kind of long goal was as you first started out in the fitness industry as a PT. 
No, definitely, definitely not. Um, you know, kind of, what, kind of what I'm doing now. I don't think uh, even kind of what you're pro- you're kind of probably doing now. When you got into it, it wasn't a, it wasn't the same world. You know, like yeah. there was no social media or podcast like it is now and stuff like that. So everything I do now, it's kind of just a all right. Well, this this is a thing now, so <laughs> let's push that pathway. You kind of just going with the way technology and the world works. But starting off, not really like the first. When I started the industry, I, the first six gyms I applied for all said no to me. Um, so I, yeah, so wow. all, all, yeah, so I couldn't get a job anywhere. So I did then did, then did park fitness. So I was doing like um, training people in parks early morning in Sydney yeah. in the city in winter, which wasn't too much fun. <laughs> and um, yeah, and the whole time I was kind of like, how do I get out of this? So I wasn't enjoying it, man. So I was looking at um, doing all these other jobs as well. Um, I was doing laboring and all this stuff and it wasn't and I was kind of just going through the motions you know it was never a there was never any kind of sense of this is kind of what I'm going to be doing forever mm-hmm. and I really I didn't because you know doing park fitness in the middle of winter at 6am in the park wasn't too much fun um but that's where I am um, the industry started change and I started this started to be more education coming out and you know my my education was bodybuilding magazines for myself to get jacked there yeah. was a sense it wasn't a sense of hey you get clients and they want to work with you 12, 24, 48 weeks. And you have that's, it was that whole typical mm-hmm. turn up, give them a session, leave, you know? So I was just yeah. that typical crappy trainer. And that's where probably about 10, 11 years ago, I started to um, learn about like Charles Poliquin and mm-hmm. when he was kind of at his peak and he had all these courses out and I was like, Oh wow, there's all this, you know, world of education out there. And that's where I really started investing in my education and learning and, and my goal from there was I just wanted to be the, I used to tell everyone I just wanted to be the best coach in the world. Um, that's all I kind of had the goal for. So I was doing all these internships around the world and mentoring with a lot of the best coaches on the planet at the time. And yeah, my goal was purely to be the most, I guess, sought after coach. And mm. there was no kind of business kind of goal. I wasn't, at the time I was, I was working for companies. I either had a salary or I was getting paid not much. And, you know, so it was never a, never any kind of a business incentive to go and learn. Like I didn't think of like, and where, where I was at, you know, 25, 26, and it was never, oh man, like you can make a lot of money in this or mm. you could have a business. I, I was just like, how can I get clients? How can I do a great job and get the best results? So that, that, that was all I wanted. Um, I really was one of those people where I hated when a client would ask you a question and you didn't have the answer on the gym floor. I hated that. So I, I always wanted to have the answers and I mm-hmm. used to see smart coaches and back, like, wow, like, man, they know so much. And that was kind of my driver. And so a byproduct of that of kind of, you know, when you, I think I saw Steve Jobs or something say something like you connect, connect the dots kind yeah. of backwards in life. Um, it's kind of like, well, by actually trying to be a really great coach and learning a lot, it then laid the foundation for you to, for, for me to do better things and have a business like I do now and mm-hmm. have lots of people want to use my programs. But it was definitely the funny thing was, it was like, you know, I hated social media. I didn't want to do social media. Well, I still hate social media now, but I have to do it. Um, but yeah, so to long, um, long answer to your question, but yeah, it's um, definitely what I'm doing right now is never kind of gone to, been a, a plan except the last couple of years um has somewhat but yeah it's, it's the world changed a lot and it was definitely never never 
kind of, um, yeah, the direction is kind of just kind of going with the flow. Going with the flow. Yeah. I'm super interested. What, uh, who were some of the people you did, uh, internships with and was there anyone in particular that you, that really stood out for you and, and you took a lot of value away from them as a coach or just as a, a person in general? Yeah. So I was, um, I worked at clean health back in when now kind of at their peak, probably like 2015, 16, and they had like a really big polyquin kind of background. Yeah. And, um, obviously these days, a lot of stuff with polyquin, I, you know, around the nutrition and stuff like that wasn't, and, um, wasn't uh, probably the best kind of up-to-date science, but from a training standpoint, um, he was fantastic. Um, mm. and the more so where was he, he was at, he was kind of, getting past it where he was just kind of you know i'm famous i'm rich now and i'm going to do a pretty crappy job in his courses so i started to invest into more his kind of disciples so this yep. guy called stefan kazolt from kilo um he was like the head of poliquin so i went and did an internship with him in la for a, a week and we just sat there he was like the kind of like the godfather of undulating periodization yep. it was just so we just sit there every day and just write seven, eight hours of programs. I'd write a year long periodization and he would sit across the table like, nah, shit, start again. <laughs> and just we did that for a week of just writing hundreds of programs. Um, that was really cool. Kind of, um, then I went to Germany, got, see a guy called Wolfgang Unsold, who was a really big kind of um, um, German strength and conditioning coach, kind of like a world, like world, world-class coach. Um, did a week, maybe eight days of there with him. Again, more on undulating periodization and stuff like that. And, you know, from a nutrition standpoint, um, done stuff with um, Lane Norton back yep. in the day, um, did private mentoring with him, maybe 2018 around nutrition. And then I did lots of courses, done like, you know, um, as I said, Poloquin. Um, I was a big fan of like Christian Thibodeau. I did a fair few of his yep. courses. Um, I did some, I think I did a seminar actually with him. We both taught at, I think, um, a couple, four or five years ago. Um so those those kind of guys uh, I've really liked, um, and then yeah, my passion has kind of always been around program design, and so mm. unique, you know. So I think that's allowed me to kind of do what I do with my programs, and then kind of be people want to use, um, because yeah, the stuff I was learning is probably not as kind of mainstream as you know, you kind of bodybuilding magazines. Yeah, it's definitely, it was never. It was never kind of like that, that kind of training. They were primarily more about strength, strength mm -hmm. um, athletes and stuff like that. So I kind of transitioned what they were teaching to a more hypertrophy and then a more bikini kind of um, yeah. strategy. So, and that was, I think, what's helped me because it was quite unique um, with what I do. Mm. I'm sure you get this question a lot um, as well, but I often get asked from trainers who have just finished their cert three and four. So they've kind of ticked the box of their PT certification and depending on where they've done it, a lot of them now are, are pretty garbage. Um, but people finishing their PT course and, but also having that passion and the understanding that that's just the starting point. Like there is, there's always going to be more to learn. So what is your advice for a trainer who has just finished their certification, but then wants to move on to something else to keep furthering their, their knowledge and their ability to program and, and to work with clientele. Um, obviously it depends on what field or what area they really want to focus on, I guess, but is there any bits of advice you can offer trainers in that position? Yeah. Well, first, first bit of advice guys, if you want to get qualified, I have my own certificate three and four in fitness, which is internationally recognized with my business Carol performance. So guys go and invest into that. We'll put the, 
we'll put the link to that in the in the show notes as well that, for anyone who's interested. Um, yeah, that's why my brother and I created Carol Performance to help exactly that. You know, you get qualified and then you have no idea what to do. Mm. You put a piece of paper where for us we added hours of education with kind of stuff. And you know, in our in our certificate three and four, we what we tried to add in was exactly kind of what you're asking is you know the 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 tools you'd need to kind of actually go to a gym and feel like you're confident to um talk to people and work with people and the the thing with kind of being a good coach is or not even good coach it's just to get started you know you need a momentum and momentum is kind of getting into a place and working so I've always kind of been a big fan of just experience you know if you go in there and suck like for me like everything I did was just you know park fitness I was doing boxing classes I was doing surf classes was it kind of what I'm doing now no but it gave me the tool to talk to people and work with people Mm. and people cue exercises and stuff like that and there's you know there's so much theory out there and all that stuff but the ability to actually just to work with people and see what works and doesn't work um but I really think though from a standpoint of what could get people rapidly ahead in the industry um is just having a if you look at kind of what people need um, a, a really basic understanding of nutrition. If you can understand, you know, calories, macros, um, a nice foundation of nutrition. So just if you could go do like a short nutrition course around that, that will always help a lot. Program and then a program programming course. If you have the ability to kind of write programs so your client comes into the gym and um, you have the confidence to, you know, put something together that makes sense. So you know the whys and it, it's it's not real complicated. Um, if you understand basic programming, basic nutrition, literally stuff you could learn in two, three weeks of investing in mm-hmm. tiny courses, you'll know more than 99% of the guys who are in the gym and have never upskilled once after getting qualified. Like people often think, oh man, that guy's busy. Majority of coaches are absolutely fucking awful, like literally. And doesn't mean they're not nice people. doesn't mean they don't make a lot of money, but they actually, the reason why they often do well is because they're in a gym for 20 years and so they're bound to get the name and stuff mm. like that these days these days people often kind of talk about how saturated the industry is and yes it's saturated but you know everything's saturated these days there's you know what seven yeah exactly well you know there's every everything is saturated but if you're good at something you're really good at something you'll naturally gravitate to the top and i think with um personal training now more than ever, it's a, of course, there's so much bad stuff out there. It's also really easy to yeah. put out good stuff and stand out. Um, and so if you just have a base understanding and the other one I'd say is around just queuing exercise. If you have yeah. a, you know, you, if you have a client who, you know, is doing a horrendous squat <laughs> in front and, you know, and or you see a person in the gym with a, I think I spoke about this all, the other day, actually, if you see like, uh, coach and their clients just doing horrendous form and they're not trying to improve their technique they're just all right cool counting reps and stuff like that and that's probably a sign that that coach isn't that great yeah. but if you see someone who's just actually working on their technique it doesn't have to be better but you know they do a squat and then they come back and go hey let's work on pushing your knees forward let's open your hips up just really basic stuff like that it shows also to people watching you coach yeah. that you're actually hands-on you're actually looking at what they're doing so yeah a really basic understanding of nutrition ability to just cue exercises um and also um some program design kind of basics but that's also where um i also really suggest young coaches to go invest into a good personal trainer for themselves mm. so you go invest into a coach and learn how they actually do stuff um what, what's really useful that is that not only do, does it help you get in good shape 
but you also even just learn how they do their initial consult on yeah. you. You learn how they do their systems. You learn how they do a biofeedback form. You learn how they do their check-ins. And so you can actually just learn a lot on business. Like it's basically you're getting jacked and shredded um, whilst also getting basically free then yeah. business tips on how they're doing. So it's kind of a best of both worlds Whereas you could hire a business coach to tell you the same stuff for $5,000 or you could hire a coach for 12 weeks for a thousand dollars who's actually good at what they're doing what you're doing mm. that's always also something I, I don't think coaches do enough um because you can really grab a lot of information um how other coaches run their business just by working with them yeah definitely and for those that aren't willing to do that again i, I feel like that comes back to a bit of an ego thing um but I, again in so many aspects of life i feel like your your ability to to drop or remove the ego and, and just continue to put yourself in positions where you're able to learn from other people. Um, and I'm sure you would see this as well, but also at the same time, like understand that there's no lack of abundance or success within the community, even though it's saturated, it's like just because someone else is doing well, doesn't mean that you can't do well either. And, you know, being, having that opportunity to, to learn from them and, and take information from their experience um, and collapse that time frame. If they've been in the industry for 10 years, and you can work with them, as you said, for say 10 weeks and, and soak up as much information as you can from their 10 years of experience. It's, it's super beneficial. Yeah. Like I always ask, like I always ask questions and, you know, often when I go places and I talk to trainers and they don't know me or know who I am or whatever. And I'll just talk and often I just ask questions and see what they do. And, you know, they could be in their second year and I still like to kind of get people's opinions and stuff like that. I'm always like, oh, okay, cool. Like, you know, just because, I think just because other people are trainers, they often get like defensive. It's like, oh, I, can't yeah. I need to know anything. Whereas for me, I'm like, well, what can I learn from that person? What can I take from that person? What can I take from this person? Um, and, you know, the goal is not to be the next ex-coach. The goal is like that person. The goal is to, hey, take what you like and then move on. Take what you like from that someone else. And, you know, I, I've I've trained with uh, um, two different coaches um, at six, seven, eight years ago, um, two of the, some of the best coaches. And, I learned a lot and, you know, it was a long time. So I learned their periodization. I learned their, how they did their nutrition, all that stuff. And then it was valuable to learn what I also didn't like in the experience. So sometimes you often work with people and you go, well, as a, as myself being the client, you realize, Hey, that customer service was pretty crap. And it can make you learn a lot just by you actually also being the customer. So you yeah. can learn for your business. So like, ah, oh, they're really bad with check-ins and stuff like that. That's annoying. Now I know why a client, you know, would mm -hmm. hate that. Yeah, it's almost like worth doing a bit of a stock take on on your own practices and and habits as often as you can. Because as you said, I think it's quite easy sometimes to have this perception or idea of what you think is the best service or what you think is the best way. But when you can't put yourself in the person on the other end's shoes, you can often get lost in just trying to, again, do things that are going to benefit you or the way you think things go when it's not really effective for the for the client or the person on the other end. Some of the pieces of content that I, I really like of yours um, is the educational pieces around certain movements and, you know, whether it's debunking movements that are done quite often that aren't as effective as what some people would think or whether it's showing variations or, or different cues, as you mentioned, in order to maximize the, the, the muscle recruitment of whatever target people are trying to work on or, or whatever it may be. Um, and, you know, I myself have taken away a bunch of things. There's been a number of exercises that you've posted that I've kind of had thought I had the understanding or I was under the impression was was an effective way to do something. Yet when you break that down and, and show mechanically how it's not the case, um, I think that's super beneficial. So is that are those pieces of content um, 
pieces that you enjoy creating and sharing and, and get a good, good feedback from? It's funny because some, some of the, some of the things you do, it's like you, you often get when you, when you talk about certain exercise, people get a lot of attachments to it, you know, and people get angry mm-hmm. at you. So often when I do stuff, it's like, Oh, how dare you like talk about this exercise? Like, oh, it's like, you're a bad person. Um, I find it's, it's funny with the, I often joke that, you know, if you, if you know, you call out someone who talks crap about nutrition, you know, they're saying that, you know, calories don't matter or something. Everyone like applauds, but then if you call out a really terrible exercise, which makes no sense, everyone, everyone's like, Oh, how dare you? They're just trying their best. It's good to exercise. It's like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) Not the point. You know, the point is, is that the thing is, right. I'm always, I, on social media, right, there's so many people who I like to kind of use a term that, you know, when I got into social media, like these days, you know, I'm majority of people are 90% personal trainers, right? And then they're 10% content creators. They have to be, you know, it's not by choice. It's just the way the world is. Yeah. Um, and that's the way I look at it. But the the thing is with the industry is that 90% of people these days are pretty much content creators and the 10% of, and 10% of what they are is a fitness person. They're, they're just yes. using as a, as a vehicle to get followers or, you know, be known or be, be funny and stuff like that. And so that's why I think there's so much crap out there because there's people who build up really great followings of fantastic edit editing. They happen to look good themselves. Um, but then they, they don't have a great ability to translate that over to clients or why people wouldn't mm-hmm. want to do stuff, why things not optimal for other people, even though it worked for them because they don't actually coach people. They never coach people. And something, the reason why I'm really passionate about kind of more exercise selection and stuff like that is that majority of real, real clients you work with, they're not training five, six, seven days a week. You know, they've got a few days a week. So you, the less days you've got to work with someone, the more you really have to nail the exercise mm, selection yeah so if you if you got 10 exercises and you know six are great and four are terrible you still got six great ones but if you only got time to do say three exercises you really need to be nailing the, the good stuff as much as possible to mm. get them as old as possible and you know when someone's working with me they're, they're spending a lot of money to work privately say with me um and i'm always thinking well how can i get them value for money if they're investing X money into me, you know, they've saved up for six months to afford to work with me. I'm going to give them the absolute best that yeah. I think will get the results. Whereas a lot of kind of the stuff you see on social media, it's about what will keep them entertained, what will keep them um, interested and all that stuff. So I'm always just trying to think what is going to help be the most effective way. And that's why I always get a lot of haters being like, oh, well, you, sh- you shouldn't bash exercises and all that stuff. At least they go in the gym. But I'm like, well, I know what it feels like, like from a mental health standpoint to not get progress and how demoralizing it is. Mm. And it's brutal. And I feel like I always just owe, you know, my audience and the people I work with the truth of what I think is going to be the absolute slam dunk to get the results. So if I can, if I feel like I can get you happiness or hit your goals in 12 weeks and I bring you absolute value for money, I'm going to do that. So I'm going to give you the best possible stuff. Whereas I think a lot of people kind of think elsewhere. It's like, what, what can keep them coming back? You know, what do that stuff. And so there's a difference between kind of getting someone to the end goal really quickly versus, Hey, let's just keep them entertained and stuff like that. So that's why I enjoy kind of posting um, around kind of the technique stuff. And my, because I was a personal trainer, obviously in the gym for 11, 12 years, like 
I know just one of the cool things where you, as a trainer, where you feel like the shit and where you can really blow a client away in the first like 15 minutes is if they've done come to you and they've say could never have squatted or they have a back problem on back extensions always. And within the first two minutes, you can just pick up what they've been doing wrong, which yeah. other coaches do. And all of a sudden they feel their glutes for the first time and not in pain in their back. And of course they just learn how to, you know, load correctly. And they realize there was nothing actually wrong with them. It's just their technique and they weren't taught correctly. Yeah. When you can do that and, you know, it's a really cool feeling. And that's why I think just the power of small tweaks and, you know, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. I'm just going to say, Hey, maybe we focus a little bit more on here, or this is where it's hardest in this exercise on this. So that's why we're going to spend more time here. Just these little things um, I think can also make people really enjoy training where they go, Oh, wow. Like now I get it. That's why I'm doing this. Um, and the more I think people can understand the whys, yeah. I think it makes the process more enjoyable. Yeah. It's much easier to get that mental buy-in from the client as well. As you said, if they understand the why and they know what that focus point is and they know even with the exercise selection and the cues, it's like all of a sudden when they're on their own, they know the difference between whether they're in the right position for an RDL or whether they're, they're not in the right position or whatever the exercise may be. I think with your content as well, just from my perspective is that there's kind of a difference between how you do it and how a lot of other people do it in the way of, when you're posting content that may be, you know, showing the ineffectiveness of a certain exercise, you're also showing the cues that can be switched in or, or the way it should be done or an effective way to, to swap it out. Whereas I think for a lot of other people in the industry where you mentioned, you know, people kind of just bashing other people's exercises, it's like they're the type of people who are posting a video saying this exercise is dog shit or don't do this, but then there's nothing on the back of it. There's no like, all right, instead do this, or these are the tweaks you should make. Um, so I think from, from my perspective, the stuff you're putting out is great and it's helping people, you know, why wouldn't you want to do that? Yeah. I think it's always important to, if you're going to say something's wrong, then provide a solution and a simple solution, you know, don't just say, Hey, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. Don't do this. And then that's it. Okay. Then what do people do? And also, a lot of the times there's so much nuance to kind of why something is wrong. Is it wrong or is it just that it's a terrible exercise or is it just maybe not doing what the person thinks and maybe they could still do it, but maybe in their kind of hierarchy of importance of exercises, they should primarily focus on something else. And a lot of the times I think we, you know, we think we're doing something we're trying, we're training really hard, right. And we go in the gym and Mark, not, not building muscle and I'm going to the gym every day and all this stuff. And then I kind of go to their profile and you see them just doing horrendous techniques. So yes, they're hip thrusting, but they're not hip thrusting in a way that is going to load their glutes as effectively as possible. Yes, they're squatting, but they're doing like a half squat, you know, with around and all this stuff. So there's a big difference to kind of just kind of turning up and get into the gym versus, you know, doing things really, really well. And that's the whole point of, I guess, technique and exercise selection, understanding what you're doing. It's like, how can we, you know, it's kind of like using the term, you know, are we busy in our day or are we like effective in what we're doing? You know? So that's why the gym, like, are we going every day and just doing things really, really not quite as well as we could be, or are we going to be really, really effective in what we're doing? Are we effective in our program design? Are we effective in our exercise selection? And are we um, effective in our techniques? So all these little things compound, um, slowly but they all matter and the more you can kind of stack up those little wins mm -hmm. the results will come i'm curious when you're programming for a new client um who depending on how much volume or how much experience they've had in the gym previously um 
like is there do you try and start out a new client with as little amount of, of volume as possible so there's room to move or is there certain factors and um, variables that you take into account when when mapping out someone's program for the very first time are we talking new client as in a beginner or just a new client that had come from it um, let's say new client who's intermediate who has a bit of training experience but not advanced these days it's again like i always spend a long time kind of doing initial consult with someone for like an hour and so it kind of tells you a lot about kind of what they've been doing um so it's going to just be a detective so everything is really just based off what have they been doing what's um have they yeah it's funny you, you sometimes get people and as you said they're intermediate but they've been training seven days a week but they're just not doing anything of high quality. Yeah. So they're the people who are perfect for actual regression. Let's actually regress you to three, four days of high quality and teach you how to actually have rest days yeah. without a rest days. And then you get those other people who are, you know, kind of going through the motions and, you know, they want these big things. They want to potentially get on stage and, you know, they've been doing three, four, five days and another day week, they do three days and stuff like that. So those kind of people, you'd probably go again, like, if you want to be X, then you're probably going to provide them something that's going to be suited to that goal. So if someone's coming to me and say, Hey, Mark, I've got, you know, I want to lose six kilos in 12 weeks for a wedding. And, you know, I just want to be a bit healthier and stuff like that. That's going to be different to saying, Hey, Mark, um, I've been training for four years, not that well, but I want to compete mm. um, maybe next year in a year's time. And I go, all right, let's spend the next six months laying a foundation and building and stuff like that. So really it's just always going to go back to the individual. Like the way I kind of program primarily, I do a lot of undulating. So volume intensification, volume intensification phases these days. Um, so again, I'm always kind of um, going up and down between mm -hmm. like strength qualities, but it, yeah, it really depends. You know, so I, I, I do like oh, speaking to someone recently, I think it was around for like a, say for a fat loss, like transformation. I'm, I'm a big fan when it comes to things like transformations as, as of, of a less is more approach than initially. I, I want to say from a calorie standpoint, you know, let's how, how, how much, how much calories possible can we, can we eat to but lose still effectively? Yeah. And from a cardio standpoint, how little cardio or no cardio can we do right at the start um, to generate fat loss? And, you know, I'm, I, I really like the saying I try to teach is don't play all your cards at once. So when people plateau, um, you always want to have, you know, options. You can push yeah. calories, decrease calories. You can drive up steps. You can drive up cardio. There's so many different options you can have. But if you go all out really quickly at the start, yes, you might get faster response, but then you might get a client who feels more burnout and yeah. into it. Um, so it really depends. And, you know, the only time I'd go really more aggressive um, is from a standpoint of calories over kind of training volume. I try to keep that um, pretty solid. Um um, but for like a deficit for like an advanced person, you know, I do like kind of more aggressive deficits just mm -hmm. for shorter blocks, um, which can be really effective as well. For obviously you, you've done some incredible and continue to do incredible work with females in particular, um, whether it's bikini competitors. Um, uh, I'm assuming you work with a lot of females that aren't competing as well. Yeah. Like online lately, I actually took, I think, five, six clients for the first time in a couple of years and, you know, not, none of them are competitors and stuff like that. Okay. Um, yeah. And then, um, yeah, I'd probably say I was in a phase where I had about 10, 12 kind of just pro bikini competitors. And now I've tried to transition back to just 
women who you know want to train hard but mm-hmm. they don't necessarily have the goal of getting on stage or their personal trainers and stuff like that and even like people who do my programs about 80 percent of women and i'd say they're only probably about 10 percent of those are people who actually want to get on stage it's just people who just want to train smart mm. for someone for a female that um is maybe stuck in that contemplation phase they've come from like a cardio background they're they're looking at you know, making a change or they're seeing other people getting really good results through strength training, but they have a bit of pushback. Are there certain things that you like to talk about with someone who is trying to get, get them over the edge in terms of buying, buying into the fact that they can be doing strength training, they can be eating more calories than what they probably have in the past and still losing body fat in order to get them to buy into that big shift? Because I feel a lot of the female clients that I work with, particularly that come from, as I said, that background where it might just be a lot of hit group fitness classes and you know eating absolutely fuck all to try and lose weight and and staying away from strength training with the the fear of getting bloody big and bulky or whatever it may be um is there certain things that you like to speak about to to help the understanding of how it's a good thing to step into the world of strength training and 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 periodizing training and not having to do endless amounts of cardio truthfully i'm i'm pretty fortunate these days that when people come to me, they do have um, a solid understanding mm. of that. Um, it's it's changed a lot. Obviously, I guess kind of what you post on on your profile. If I post, you know, women lifting really heavy weights, you're gonna go and get those followers. Yeah. And but when you do get people, say for example, who who are exactly like you said, they're kind of scared to you know lift a certain way, but then they see my girlfriend Lauren, and you know she's you know small you know, but she's strong, you know, she can squat a lot away. And then that kind of just goes to, you know, a lot of women, Hey, like this person's not, you know, looking like a German <laughs> um, from the 1970s, you know, like she, she's like actually lean. And, you know, I did a post a while ago about, you know, a lot of my clients, bikini competitors who've been world champs and stuff, but just them in like normal dresses at night, you know, and they look lean, they look great and all that stuff. And so I think sometimes just showing, showing people other like literally images or yeah. actual other people hey and one of the cool ways i i've often done it in the past was i'd show them say like a lauren or another client um in just normal clothes and back like, oh what do you think of her like would you be oh yeah she looks really lean i really like that look and then you go show them her squatting 150 <laughs> so it's like all right so i think people get that perception of yeah that as you said that big and bulky um, the thing I really like though these days, I will say, is, and the the person I really think um, did a really fantastic job of this is Brett Contreras. Of mm-hmm. women want to lift heavy, and that's why the one of the things you see heaps of people hate on the hip thrust these days. Oh, it doesn't do this and doesn't do that. But I really think like Brett did a great job of the hip thrust because it made women kind of feel like, hey, this exercise I feel comfortable to crush, you know, and, and you use a lot of weight on it, you know. That's yeah. Like, hip thrust you can do three four plates and they might only squat 60 kilos but they can do you know a fair few plates and it kind of started the i guess that identity of hey you know i'm strong i'm not fragile i can lift heavy shit and it makes you go you know that's enjoyable actually you know maybe i should train upper body imagine if i could do a body weight pull up Mm -hmm. you know start to get that um, mentality like i don't think it's always just a a flick of a switch yeah you know it's a it's a little introduction a little bit introduction so even when you know people do say classes in the gym something i was talking to um a friend recently and she was saying that and this was a few years ago for her she would go to the classes and in the class you know they'll just be kind of 
I don't want to say it badly, but not not kind of young, super, super fit women, you know? And then she'll walk out of the class and then see in the weight room these days, there was like girls squatting and deadlifting and bench pressing. And she's like, oh, wow, like that like that's where like the 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 younger you know really great shape mm. people were. they weren't actually in those classes where she was going where she was trying to get her confidence this was a young young woman in 30s so just by you know walking through the yeah. gym to get to the classroom and being like looking around like hey do i want to be in this classroom or do i want to be there so i think these days it's just you know social media has the pros and cons but one of the pros is is that there's so much so many women really just lifting and lifting heavy and lifting, you know, mm. and, and it's, I'm not sure if you ever like watch a movie probably from like your childhood, like, yeah, I don't know, like late, late nineties, early two thousands. And even like, you know, just the, like, you know, the Hollywood looking women with their bodies are just tiny, tiny women and they had no bum yeah. and stuff. Like that. And that was goals, you know, that was just trying to be as small as possible now, you know, it wasn't, hey, I want big glutes or I want to have shoulders. I want that. Like the, the mentality of well, who I associate with, it's a it's such a different thing. I want 100%. to have I don't want to be as small as possible. I want to have shape. I want to have curves. And that's also a really cool thing. And then the the cool thing with kind of the, I want to have shape and curves is that I think it's also allowed women to realize they don't need to be as lean. Because yeah. again, just absolutely shredded doesn't mean you can have shape and curves. So it's like, hey, I don't have to be have abs as a woman to be in great shape. I can have higher body fat, obviously, and still train. And, you know, so I think that's another cool thing because I, the, I guess the push of, you know, having a bigger bum and, you know, not just being as small as possible also allows women to feel a bit more comfortable to do building phases and get yeah, out, of the true. Day, yeah. which um, also I like. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. You, um, with an, as an online coach, um, I'm interested to hear what variables you you get your fat loss clients to use in terms of seeing whether or not they're seeing progress and measurable results. Like for a client that you're not seeing in person, um, are there certain variables that are kind of like a lock-in with your clients or is it kind of changed case by case depending on, on the person's mentality and their previous experiences? I used to do a bit more kind of... Um case by case kind of like all right if this if this client's a competitor obviously it will be a little bit more detailed and then if it was a say a more general population client a lot lot more vague but these days just with who i'm hiring like even though they're i guess general population and when i mean by general population they might be a mom of two three kids in their early 40s but they're still signing up with the hey i'll expect high quality results yeah. like i want the best for me and so I'm an, I, I like numbers. I like knowing what a person's doing. I like knowing exactly what's happening for me to actually, you know, make the best decisions. That's why I've always really liked calories and macros because mm -hmm. it, it's not, you've kind of flying blind and hoping for the it best. Takes away the guesswork. hundred percent. So with um that, like I'm a, you know, I know hates of people hate it, but I'm a huge fan of the scale just because it gives you something to monitor and, and using an average using an average. So I have them weigh every single day and then it gives you a weekly average and you show trends, but it also shows by doing that. The other thing I really like with that is that when it does go up, when the client realizes this, they don't freak out so much because then they can see on the average, Hey, it's gone up say three pounds before. And then in two days later, I'm down four pounds. Mm. I'm lean ever. So it also teaches people not to stress so much, but I like weight because it can, 
it can give people again some some form of something to measure towards like yeah. for example it doesn't have to be it's not a matter of hey let's be 60 kilos and you'll be happy then it's more hey let's set a weight goal target so that then we can work out our um, our calorie standpoint how much if we want to lose eight kilos in 12 weeks versus three kilos in 12 weeks that's going to be a little bit, a bit different, different yeah average and all that stuff so i enjoy that um it depends on the client i do what um um, waist hip measurements. Um, I, mm. I always really like waist and hip measurements for someone with high body fat because it's a way for them to get a small win. Mm-hmm. Um, they might not get it as visually, but when that waist is going down, that's a great way to get a small win. Um, and the big thing for me is kind of the clients I work with is just photos. I know photos yeah. um, are something people hate, but you know, if you're going to get on stage in a bikini, um, you need photos. So I, yeah. I need as much data to realize, you know, because somebody might be. Lo- might have lost seven kilos and their photos look the same because they've, you know, haven't, you know, been cutting water out before they, you know, I used to weigh people and they used to um, stop drinking water like just before the day before because I was so, they just wanted to see the scale down. Yeah. They're just so attached to that, you know, that, oh, my, so they'll literally not drink and eat the next day before. Uh, and I was like, oh, that's not the whole point of this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think photos do a great job for the right client. Um, but th- when it comes to photos, it's also, it's a tool. So you need to, if someone's got really um, bad body um, confidence issues and stuff like that, it can also be a negative tool. Yeah. And likewise, um, I actually try to avoid photos as regularly. I, I like them weekly in a cut, but say in a building phase, less regularly because I don't want them to feel not as great when they see a photo. They're Freak feeling out, good. Yeah. yeah. So all these things I think are tools, um, but as a coach, I think it's important to have, structure to who you are as a coach and like uh, i like to say you know i'm not fair i don't want someone who just wants a meal plan and just wants to have you know two three days a week of training like i could take that on but i don't need to i'd rather take Mm. on people that i know i can be a home run for you know i'm not the best at a lot of things at at all but if someone's coming to me i want to know that what their goal is i can actually deliver and so it's important as a coach to have your own structures and systems and you choose clients that fit into kind of what you think you can actually nail for them. Yeah. Brilliant. I think with the average weight as well, as you mentioned, like particularly if someone gets leaner, it's also a really good way to look at like, all right, Wednesday, we saw a big spike. What were our, what did we do on Tuesday or what was like the, the last meal on Tuesday night? Or was there any variables that changed? Was sodium significantly higher? Were you super stressed? Were, yeah. I think, it's really cool to help people learn about their body. So then again, they're understanding the why they're actually understanding the process instead of just following something that's been given to them um, and learning more about their body. I think I'd be rude not to ask um, for all the ladies listening at the moment. I, I mean, this is a pretty open question and is probably a million different answers, but what would be your top, let's say three to five exercises for effective glute growth? When it comes to glutes, you know, the, obviously we've got our glute max, glute medius, and glute minimus. So glute minimus is like a muscle that kind of runs laterally, but underneath. So you don't really need to kind of directly focus on that. But obviously your glute max is going to be your, your big muscle. Um, you know, there's a lot of little, little different things people do. You know, they do these days some external rotation and abduction can still get some glute max. But the main thing is it's just hip extension. So focusing on that. And the way I kind of look at it and try to break it down is that, you know, we've got three kind of key movement patterns where our hip hinge is going to be like your RDLs, your good mornings, 
Um, we've got our bridges and thrust patterns, and then we also have our more knee dominant, but um, I say that, but that's going to be more like your squat lunge and stuff like that. So when it comes to hypertrophy, and this is something I've kind of changed my mind on a lot, you know, I used to do a lot less kind of exercises, like again, my polo can kind of background, I was just like squat and do a supplementary exercise, mm-hmm. you know, um, but trying to build muscle, we want to be trying to hit it from a variety of angles and variety of options, different loading schemes and stuff like that. Um, resistance profiles and things like that. So the way I kind of always look at doing is that we can get one good exercise for each of those key movement patterns. So we've got a hip hinge, something like an RDL is going to be ideal because we kind of keep tension into the glutes and you just want to do it with a knee bend. So hips go back to the wall to um, get as much stretch on the glutes. And when you can't push your hips any further back, you stop and come back up. So we keep the, we try to bias the glutes and disadvantage the hamstrings. Um, Then uh, more uh, knee dominant pattern, something like a um, lunge. So a reverse lunge is kind of my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, you can add a deficit for a bit more range of motion. And again, with a reverse lunge, you want to step backwards. And then it's that intent of pushing the way um, floor backwards to drive yourself forward. That's going to be get more, a bit more glute biased again and do it with a bit more of a leaning torso. And then obviously, you know, you got your heart, um, your hip thrust, your bridge pattern. So any kind of thrust is going to be a great exercise. Um, but the main thing is with a thrust is try to bias the top position of this of the hip thrust. So I've talked a lot about it. I think I, I must probably bore people, but we've got resistant a thing called a re- resistance profile. So a resistance profile is basically where the muscle will encounter its most tension throughout its range of motion. Um, and so certain exercises will be harder when the muscles in a stretch position, say a lunge or a squat or an RDL, whereas other exercises not as many, but will be harder in the top position, the shortened position. So this is why I like a thrust um, is a good one because it's the peak tension is at the top. And so what this means is if you can kind of complement your training to have a couple of um, stretch-based movements and then say one or two shortened-based movements. Um, so again, another something that's shortened is going to be like, say, a kickback. So a kickback is going to be hardest. Okay, well, at the top, things like those. So it's kind of just... A lot of these exercises are good. You, you could choose two, three exercises for each of those key movement patterns. But the way you'd, I, I always try to look at it is probably like try on a, say on a workout, try to do two stretch based movements and then one short and base movement. Um, and that's probably the the key structure, you know, so mm. split squats all work. It's funny. A lot of the best exercises everyone does. And that's the hard thing with content. There. It's like, Oh, what's new and stuff like that. And it's just execution and um, repeating them and doing for longer and progressively overload and stuff like that. Um, yeah, <laughs> like true, really great glute training is actually not as sexy. You know, yeah. like talking to um my mate um Lane Norton stayed up with me here for a week, um, a couple of weeks ago. And Lane, if you guys know, is like a you know huge coach and nutrition expert and powerlifter, and so he's a world champion natural powerlifter. And the thing is, Lane squats and he deadlifts. And, you know, he has massive glutes, mm. like, you know, powerlifter and like walking around, like he has massive glutes and here's this guy not training for big glutes, but you know, he's just by byproduct product of just, you know, doing these big bases. He does a little bit of thrust and stuff like that, but it's not trying to do big booty days and stuff like that. So even though it's going to be personal, like, you know, everyone's mechanics are a little bit different. His technique kind of is a bit more hip dominant on those, but it just shows, you know, even a lot of powerlifter have 
big glutes and they're not doing many exercises. They're just doing the same basic ones and getting really, really good at them. Yeah. What do you think, um, for those that don't follow your content and haven't seen a lot of the videos you put out around cues and movements that may seem uh, effective, but are actually pretty ineffective when you look at the biomechanics and the resistance profile and whatnot, what are some of the top movements that, um, you would, that are ineffective that a lot of people actually do and, and are under the impression are, are really engaging their glutes, but are kind of wasting their time. Well, not wasting their time, but is not as effective as some of the movements we've just discussed. Probably the big one, and yeah, I've said this a lot and been at wars with people in the <laughs> past last year, um, is around kind of just banding, the, the, the you know, putting a band around your knees for many of your glute exercises. And and the thing is, right, is that, you know, like people think, all right, if I'm training the glutes, say, on a leg press, that's one. And then if I put a band around my knees and create resistance around there and I have to abduct out, that's another one. So one plus one should equal two, right? But not really because what happens is if one plus one, but one of them actually then takes away your potential to do the other one really, really well. So, for example, if you're putting, say, bands around your um, knees and doing, say, a leg press, that's actually going to um, negatively impact your pot potential to use as much load on the actual um, leg press for training your glutes. You actually just mm. take away. So yes, you're adding a small element one, but you're taking away a bigger element. Mm. So you're just increasing your ability to say lift as much. So you're basically telling your body, I want to do this way. I'm trying to push this way. So if I was saying you're trying to run and you're trying to, you know, straight line and push, push through the round to push head. But then if I said, Hey, let's band our knees. Cause again, glutes are important when we run, right? Glutes are running. But if you then add that lateral component, you're not going to run too fast because you're kind of doing two different yeah. things. And so the band can be a tool at times, you know, it's, it's a cool and help people feel it. But the way I was kind of thinking about it, right. Is, you know, when we train a muscle, right. Say we're doing a lunge, the glutes go through a range of motion where eccentric and concentric or say hip thrust, your glutes go up and down. But the thing is when you band your knees, right. You're just holding like an isometric contraction. You're not actually abducting in and out. You're just holding. There's no shortening or lengthening. Yeah. So the research shows, yeah, you can get, you know, isometrics can be useful at times for um, helping, you know, um, just neurologically feel move, feel move, feel movements and stuff like that. But if I was going to train my glutes with a band, I'd want to be going abducting in and out, you know, so I'd be not just holding it against. Mm -hmm. so that's one of the things I've never seen with a band. And then often people be like, well, say studies kind of show is like, all right, well, if you do a body weight hip thrust, with no band, there's less less activation of the glutes on an EMG than if you did a body weight hip thrust but banded your knees, yeah, right? Yeah. So does that mean it's better? Well, it's just higher um, tension because you've actually added an external um, factor to it. You've actually added a resistance. resistance so that, yeah, yeah, but that doesn't mean it's more or less on the glutes. So you'd load the glutes. So long story short, like if you want to get more out of the glutes, you'll just try to add more load to that specific movement pattern. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to like that kind of stuff, it's kind of just knowing when to use it. And it's a tool, you know, I'm sure you, you've been seeing over the years, you know, where people just swear a band on every single exercise they're doing in the gym. It's just so counterproductive and just a poor understanding of what you're trying to actually do, you know, and it's like that, it's that chasing of the, um, 
that burn. It's that chasing of that sensation of, oh, I feel it. Like, yeah, it will burn. But if I made you hold your arm up by your side and just held it long enough, eventually your shoulders would burn. But it doesn't mean that's an effective as they do. They're going to grow, yeah. 10 to 12 reps. So, you know, and even, you know, with the whole sense of, you know, I've, if you do four or five rep squat, you're probably not going to feel your legs burn. You're just trying to get up and down. You're trying to survive, but it doesn't mean you're not really loading those muscles very well. And so I think the the one negative with the glutes training over the years has just been the constant chase of always just that deep, deep burn. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can also take away from the progressive overload where the people I think do really well with glute glutes, building their glutes and glute training is if you want to do bands, save for the end and get a bit of a nice pump, a little bit of a fun finisher. After you've overloaded. After, yeah. And, uh, and then, yeah, so save, take the band off, you know, your squat, set your band off those other exercises and um, do those really well. And then save that kind of pump finisher um, for the end after you've done kind of the big keys. Yeah, I love that. I love the way you explained that, particularly with the leg press. And I think that will make a lot of sense to a lot of people is, is the understanding that the adding of the band is really taking away from the load you're able to push in the first place. All right. So I'll I'll just start at this. I've got this kind of analogy I like to use about the band, you know, like, like, Oh, well, I feel the glutes more. It makes the glutes do more. All right. So imagine you're standing up, right. And you had dumbbells in your hand to do a dumbbell curl and you put a band around your knees, right? So you put a band around your knees and then I told you to do a dumbbell curl and the band around your knees, you pushed out a little bit. So there's tension, right? And you're doing a you're doing your dumbbell curls and you just had the band around your knees. So if you did an EMG activation um to get like the sensors, would you feel would your glutes be activated? Yes. Does that mean the dumbbell curls a good glute exercise? No. <laughs> it just means that you've got an external um yeah. portion being and that's kind of the thing back well i feel my glutes and then they'll they'll be like yeah but i'm doing a dumbbell curl and i feel my glutes so therefore it's a glute exercise well the dumbbell curl it's not the dumbbell curl is not making it that it's that it's that external um factor and that's kind of the way where people like well but i feel it more when i do a squat i feel it more when i do that yes you're you're, the senses will, will be triggering high but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to actually give you more for that exercise that kind of makes sense yeah it's a great analogy really good um how do you is there certain things you do on a daily basis around your mental health and the ability to be productive and reach that flow state daily uh, you know assuming your workload would be relatively high and there's a number of different things you're you're doing on a day-to-day basis is there i, I know things like morning routines and that are a bit of a, a buzzword thing at the moment but are are there certain things that like daily non-negotiables that you like to keep in place in order to stay in a good place mentally but also allow yourself to be as productive as possible something i've always been pretty bad at the last few years is kind of any sense of routine like i like that's something i've been pretty terrible with like my girlfriend she's really really good at you know, getting out at the same time she gets super early and she's just so methodical you know like she's a you know yeah influencer i guess but you know, she works, she's so professional. When I first started dating five years ago, like every post would be a month out plan and stuff like that. You know, it was like, it was a business. And for me, it was just like, all right, I wake up and, you know, if I'm depressed, I'll stay in bed. And if I feel good, I'll get up and do something. And that you can get away with for a period of time and stuff like that. But these days now I'm, you know, I've got multiple businesses and in a period where, you know, I love learning and 
I never really learned much about business or anything like that until about one or two years ago after I already had a pretty successful business, mm. but I was always just about training. And then one of the things is when you start to learn about business and marketing and all that stuff, you start to think, wow, man, I'm not doing any of these things. I should be doing these things. And you start to be like, oh, you add to a to-do list and you, your to-do list keeps growing. I should be doing that. And you read another book. And so the last year or two, like I was like, man, I've got so much I'm going to be working on. I'm just in that state of what do I do? What, what, what's, what's, what's the priority? Where do I go? Paralysis um, by analysis type thing. hundred percent. And it's like, you do that. All right. All right. Write a to-do list and it's 17 things long. And then you're like, all right, I'm going to do, you end up getting nothing done. So for me, it's what I've have actually tried to do is actually create a bit of a routine. Um, these days I try and get up early and my big, my big non-negotiable because I'm luckily to have a home well, business from home is reading. So reading is kind of my thing. So I read normally for about 45 minutes, awesome. every single morning about 6am. And so I'm always reading, reading, reading. And I, in the morning, I really like to kind of read more business books because, you know, business is hard. You have those ups and downs and, you know, you like learning is like, it kind of motivates you be like, want to work on your business in the day. Um, and something I'm really, my, the the thing that really holds me back in life most more than anything is the whole phone. And because your phone is, you know, right there and you've got your business on your phone for me, your emails, your Instagram, and obviously where I run my business a lot, it's just so distracting at times. It can really, as you said, ruin your workflow and it's that ability to, all right, I'm working well. I remember something, a message from my team, and then you go get an Instagram. And then before you know it, you scrolled at absolutely nothing for 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. That's been the real, that's my real big weakness. And I actually just read, I was telling you about a Dan Kennedy book. Um, that's what I yeah. about. We're like seven of his like no BS Dan Kennedy books and stuff. And he, I was reading one, I forget where it is, um, time management. That's it. And he's the one, which is excellent. He's mm-hmm. um, time management. And, and the thing is, is that I'm sure we all kind of get to that feeling of, man, I've, there's not enough time in the day. I'm not doing it enough. You know, there's not enough time in the day. I'm so busy. And that's one of the things I've kind of realized is, yeah, I've got a lot of things to do, but I honestly think with better productivity um, and better time management, I could probably get double the amount I've done in half the time. And it's just trying to be really knowing exactly what is the priority in the day mm. is the key. Um, and for me, my mental health often goes really bad. That sense of well, social media obviously is never much fun, but that sense of when you have an endless list and you don't get anything done. So yeah. it's now more actually trying to condense what you need to do done. What's the priority? What's that one thing we can get done today that can really win um, win the day for you? And then obviously other things. And so lately, yeah, so lately for me, it's, I, I as you said, I, I kind of hate the, cringe morning routine where everyone's like oh I manifest for an hour and then I journal and then I do all this and it's just this fake perfect thing you know and you know some days I'll get up and start reading and I feel great and I'm like yeah I'm so excited other days I'll start reading and it's just you know when you just no nah, this it's just it's not motivating it's like so I just move on and get started and work or something like that and I'm a really because of my personality because of my like mental illnesses and and stuff um I'm really it's it's kind of hard to have structure because I'm so up and down and some mm-hmm. some hours I will feel like I'm Elon Musk. I've got the options of the world at my feet. I can do anything. And the other thing is I'm like, oh, I'm going to go bankrupt. Um, my life's over, you know, when a post doesn't go well. And it's 
constant roller coaster um, for me. And and the hard thing is, is that when you're trying to run things and you actually really need to be quite like, I guess, stoic when you're running a business, mm. help you get through those up and down periods is for me, because I'm so up and so down, something I've learned to try and do though for myself is really make the most of those good hours and good days and try to go like kamikaze and get as much done. Cause I know maybe in six hours time or the next day, I'll probably not be able to get out of bed because my mental health is so bad that day and you get nothing done. So for me being, I'm kind of crazy. It, um, the ability to kind of know that and maximize, Hey, when I'm good, I'm going to go all out. And I also know no matter what, it's just impossible for me to, be kind of your typical kind of robotic where I just stick to structure. So I often have structure, but it's a guide and, you know, mm-hmm. not try to beat myself up about it. If like, if I can't stick to it. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's just the more that you try to do in life, something I realize, you know, I invest a lot into all these different things and different businesses. And you, you know, when you have a little bit of success in something, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's contagious. You go, oh, I want a bit more. I, I could, I could do this and you build your confidence up. But the thing is, you know, for everything you're doing, say a business or a project, five things can go wrong, you know, and each day something can go wrong. But if you're trying to do 20 big things in life, that's a lot of things that could go wrong yeah. throughout your day and add a lot of stress. So something I'm just really trying to work on is that ability to, you know, not let something, say a project on one business, derail than your workflow on another business and yeah not letting one thing kind of derail your everything you know and i think that's a real skill like you know i'm always amazed at you guys um people who uh have multiple businesses and you know hand in everything and their ability to just not let a bad day derail you and that's something i'm still working on these days is trying to you know write not make bad days or even bad hours you know ruin the rest of your day and i think that's a real skill that i think from reading and learning from the most successful people in life that ability to just keep working and keep at it and not being too disheartened and not Mm. let it derail you that i think is something you know no morning routine i think kind of changed that i think it's a deeper kind of psychological standpoint yeah tool i want to be mindful of your time too so we we, we'll wrap that up in a sec um a tool that i've like I'll be honest, I don't do it every day. But when I remember to do it, it's it's really fucking effective. Is is this kind of like tra- I try and find every transition in the day. So to the point that you just talked about, right? So let's say first hour of the day, I read an email or whatever, which is just fucking pissed me off, or something's gone wrong, and and that can easily then affect, as you said, the rest of the day. One one thing leads to the other, and you get to dinner time, and the whole day's been a piece of shit. So I try and look for these transitions. So for example, if I've finish up this podcast and then after this I go and um have lunch with my missus or whatever like that'd be a transition if I finish training a client face to face and then a new one comes in there'd be a transition between those two or you get the point so every single time you have a break between something else is I know you just kind of talked about how the the morning routines and whatnot you're not that big of a fan but sitting down like in every little transition throughout the day, like just taking 10 deep breaths, close your eyes, whatever. And then ask yourself three questions is what do I want to get out of this next task or this next hour? If there's anyone else involved, what do I hope they get out of it? And then the third thing is what do I need to do to make sure those two things happen? So where I find it really effective is if I have had a shit morning or something's kind of gone South and it's, it's really messing with me. And then I'm also about to go and jump in a meeting with someone 
completely unrelated to the shit that's just gone bad beforehand as you mentioned it's very easy to let that consume you and you're not present you're, you're barely even in that and, and all of a sudden the whole day turns to shit whereas if i can sit down just have that clean slate and go into it, something as simple as a coffee for half an hour with someone uh, talking about work or whatever it is and, and just have the actual clarity and have an intention of what i want to get out of that half an hour and and what i hope they get out of it and knowing what i need to do to make that happen all of a sudden the productivity goes through the roof but at the same time you you allow yourself to become more of an observer of your thoughts and not the the victim of that one bad thing which then leads to a whole day of absolute shit so i mean that it might be something to try no i like that i it's kind of like a term like something where i read it but it's kind of like a you know if you have a bad situation try to have a detach for yourself have a couple of minutes break and then when you go to your next kind of whatever you're doing try to be present in that new new conversation or present in that new task at hand and the ability to be present in what you're trying to do right now can help you detach from mm. that quick experience and you know often you know as, as you said often just a new project or a new conversation with someone can all of a sudden be a nice positive if you're allowed to be, but you need yeah. your headspace to allow it to be and be present. But if you're still oh, I'm so angry and stressed at that, you carry it with you. And then that then becomes a negative experience. And all of a sudden you turn, you know, into a bad day. And, you know, a lot of the things, yeah. Um, if you heard the saying, you know, most people don't have a bad life. They just had a bad day and something like that. You know, when you feel really mm. shit, that's the, that's the big kind of thing I'm trying to work on is that ability to, not think so everything's so bad you know something yeah. bad. like yeah that didn't go to plan or that didn't sell didn't go as well or this and that it's not not all the end of the world and you know have that ability to not feel i guess so frustrated or defeated over really short things yeah Especially when we know in life yeah pretty much everything's ever gone wrong in my life at the time where i felt like my life was over which has been numerous times it's always led to something 10x better you know and it's weird how life works it's, it's kind of trying to remind yourself but yeah but as cliche as it is it's that it just comes back to that saying that life happens for you not to you yeah but that's why i like you know i do like starting my day i know i know it's not a magic morning routine but i try to get up these days i get up 5 30 which i used to get up like nine o'clock when i was really depressed so 5 30 is just super early for me i get up i have the same routine i have the same um drink and i go to the office and i read and that it might not be a fancy you know journaling and all this stuff like other people often do but that for me just can often just having that structure can get you in a good place even especially you've had a a bad day beforehand yeah. so for me that's kind of my thing um but i actually also like you know what you said that and i think yeah that ability to i don't know to have something have something not go to plan but then quickly be like all right cool what's next you yeah. know what else you got for me life man i've got this um i, I did an episode with a guy named peter crone um and it was like fucking mind-blowing and i think there's a lot of stuff in there that you will really enjoy so i'm going to flick you the link after this um i think i think you really like the episode um but mate before we wrap up what is what's the thing that you're at the moment currently most proud of hmm that's a good question um i guess from a like a, a personal standpoint you know like at the moment you know sounds really really lame but i've got a good relationship you know with my partner and you know i've got a good few couple of friends in my life you know some i've never really had any when i was younger i 
always had struggles with relationships with people and friendships and stuff like that. So I've, I've done a good job of trying to find a bit more of a balance. And, you know, as I got older and, you know, you to have a good relationship where it, it doesn't, it adds value to your life, you know, mm-hmm. instead of taking away and stuff like that really, really allows me to kind of push through into the work stuff, which is always kind of really stressful. And then from a work standpoint, the, you know, I've had thousands and thousands and thousands of people use my programs, which is really cool. Like when I got started in the industry, right, as I said, I got denied, you know, for the first six gyms, you know, um, to work out where uh, I literally couldn't even get a job at a crappy gym, um, you know, fitness first or like a snap fitness. And, you know, to then, I guess, stick at it and, you know, 15, 16 years on still be here and, you know, working with thousands of people every single month and having people want to invest, you know, their money into you. And I guess wanting to just actually see value in you, which is, which is really cool, you know, and something I'm also really proud of with that is that, you know, I think a lot of people online, especially on social media are really good at selling, you know, get fancy marketing, fancy selling and stuff like that, which I need to work on, but you know, they get a sale and then, you know, the person never comes back for, but for me, you know, our customer lifetime value just keeps growing and, That's massive, awesome. you know, the other people, you know, I think we average like now about five programs per customer, which is about 60 weeks, you know, for, you know, for those kind of programs, which is not a subscription, they actually keep buying it. So the fact that they're buying, but then actually wanting to stay and invest mm. and you know, it says that, you know, yeah, you, it's cool. You're, you're making money and stuff like that, but you, you, retention, I think is also a good sign that you're actually doing things right. Shit. Yeah. Often gets overlooked too. 100%. Mark, I really appreciate your time, man. Um, I've loved the chat and I could genuinely just sit here and, and chat with you all day, but um, we both have shit to do. So mate, I appreciate it. Thanks so much. I'll, I'll have the link to your podcast and, and your social media and website and everything in the show notes for everyone who's, who's enjoyed this episode um, to go and check out Mark's content. If you haven't already, um, if you have enjoyed this episode, we would absolutely love for you to take a screenshot of this one, share it on your social media, tag myself and Mark. Um, any feedback is, is much appreciated. Um, and yeah, man, thank you. I really appreciate it. My absolute pleasure. Thank you.